We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined on the telephone this evening by Sean Su in Tainan. Happy to be back. And by Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Thanks for having me. And jumping straight in this week, well, there was some talk early in the week about an easing off of domestic coronavirus cases, with Health Minister Chen Shih-jong saying the number of people each patient infects on average has fallen since mid-May. And according to Chen, data as of Sunday showed that the RT number, or the number of new infections caused by each individual patient, has fallen from a higher 15 in mid-May to 1.02. The Health Minister was attributing the decline to people closely following strict rules under the Level 3 coronavirus alert. However, he did warn the public that they need to continue following epidemic prevention measures so the RT number can be reduced to less than one over the next two weeks. However, that optimism proved a wee bit short-lived, as on Wednesday the health minister stressed that the current infection trend line shows that the coronavirus outbreak here is not slowing down. And he told reporters that the higher number of cases reported on Wednesday of this week could be the result of faster reporting systems that have been put in place rather than higher patient numbers but he still urged caution and advised people to only leave their homes when necessary. Now, on Thursday, the health minister said that Taiwan appears to be headed for a new peak in coronavirus cases. And he also warned that apparently the, the rise in younger people getting the coronavirus has now risen this week. So, Michael, obviously some rather disturbing news there. Yeah, um, and especially for, uh, I guess, all of uh, us parents out here who have had uh, children at home um, for, the, for the last uh, period. Uh, they're, they're not doing super well with the, uh, at least in, in the South, it's not going super well with the uh, online learning situation. And uh, it's not looking very positive now. So uh, people are starting to psychologically brace themselves for uh, this extending at least through the month of June. And uh, this traditionally would have been a time when they would have done their a lot of finals exams, and it's a pretty important time for school, and that's going to likely be lost. So that's just uh, more of a, a personal issue. And what's what's been going wrong with the online learning? Um, it took them about a week to get it up and running, and that's you know that's understandable, I suppose. Um, the the central government, of course, as we all know, long ago banned Zoom for various reasons. So they, they had their own systems put in place, and some of them worked better than others. Um, for example, there was a, a lag on, in the first week uh, for an English class that my daughter is supposed to attend, and it would take 40 minutes for her to get on onto the, to the, 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 the server or however it worked. And then every now and then the teacher would just sort of freeze, and then there was a lot of things that they hadn't worked out. And this is interesting because... A lot of the cram schools in Taiwan have done um, checks before we, we like um, run-throughs to, to see how this would work, to teaching online. And, of course, kids are going to be kids, right? So they're going to fool around with the system. They're going to post messages to each other on there. They're going to make uh, silly comments and try to get attention, and that's exactly what happened with all of these uh, uh, schools. So all the boys are, are being naughty or playing games or doodling in the chat rooms or whatever else is going on. So it, it took a little while, but I'm, I'm noticing that in, over the last couple of days, it seems to be a little bit more organized. My daughter was called out for not being on time, which is, you know, like a normal school thing. So it seems like it's getting better, 
But um, with both parents, at least in my family situation, we both still have to work. So you don't really have anyone who can supervise. Uh, I've got one uh, second grader and one junior high school kid. We don't have the time really to supervise their classes. We just have to sort of plop them in front of a computer and hope that they're uh, getting what they, they need. And uh, with the, the, the situation, the lag situation not being perfect and everything, it's just, it's quite frustrating. But of course, it's not the worst uh, thing that's happening in Taiwan. So. And of course, in Taipei this week, a, a city government official called on schools here to limit the amount of time they teach children online to save their eyes because it will stare at a screen. Right, um, we we've we've talked about that as well. Um, it, it's it's a it's, it's a I, it's a dilemma, a double-edged sword. I would just I really don't know how to deal with this. Um, there, there's kids who are going to uh, Bushiban via Zoom or Google Meets or whatever uh, thing, as well as doing classes. And then the government's also saying, be careful of your eyes. Oh, and to top it all off, um, this was very popular, actually. Kaohsiung, yesterday, I'm not sure if this is for the rest of Taiwan as well, but the mayor sent out a free two-week subscription to a, a major movie uh, site. So now we can watch uh, all these TV shows and movies for two weeks for free. And uh, that's supposed to keep people inside. And, of course, that's going to keep more people glued to the screen. So I don't think there's any way of getting around people staring at screens for a very long time during this lockdown. And what about the other the other things going on in Kaohsiung at the moment? Obviously, you've controversy about the wet market rule. Yeah, people were a little unhappy because, uh, at least in the older generation, there's a lot of people who go every day to find the freshest uh, meats and foods or vegetables. And they were unhappy that they would have to be limited to, to three times. But... Um, and also, uh, to be to be frank, uh, I've, I've I've done a lot of shopping over the, the past weeks or so, and I've noticed a lot of uh, these sort of I guess you would call them mom and pop supermarkets. They're not brand label uh, supermarkets. There are people just walking in without writing in the in the book or uh, doing the QR code, and they just don't have the staff to be able to enforce the. The gatekeeping, if it's one of the larger supermarkets, you know, that's not a problem. They've got it down. And then also in Kaohsiung, we have a lot of uh, older people who uh, find this whole QR code thing very, very frustrating in their view. And uh, I've, I've, I've witnessed older people yelling at staff uh, saying, you know, just let me in. I can't figure this thing out. That We've seen a rise of older people going out and getting stamps made, you know, that have ink inside of them, and it has their name, their address, their ID number all on it, so they can just walk up and stamp the stamp before going into the shop. So there's a bit of uh, that frustration. Um, we also had a, a contentious issue over the last week with the former KMT Kaohsiung legislator Huang Xiaoshun, who uh, allegedly, or at least reportedly, uh, jumped the line and got a... Uh, a vaccination at the smaller Ida hospital in Kaohsiung. And uh, this made, you know, quite a few people angry because the KMT is, of course, uh, criticizing the current government for its rollout of vaccines and its entire approach to the coronavirus uh, breakout. And uh, it just didn't look good that she would uh, abuse her privileges. So uh, the mayor, Chen Mai came out and made a very strong statement saying that hospitals in Kaohsiung would not allow people to jump any sort of queues. They uh, gave the hospital like an official letter of uh, admission or something like this. And um, 
she says, you know, she's a pharmacist and she needed it. And, uh, the, but the fact of the matter is she's registered in Taipei. So any vaccination that she should have got should have been in Taipei. And she did jump the queue in Kaohsiung. So that didn't go over very well. And what about the streets at the weekend? Of course, lots of photographs of the streets of Taipei being deserted at the weekends. Are the streets of Kaohsiung deserted at the weekends now? We, an interesting thing about uh, the city so far is that we don't have a hot spot in the same way as like Wanhua. We don't have, like if you look on one of those maps where they've got all those red dots symbolizing where the caseloads are, ours are pretty evenly spread out. Now, of course, there are more cases in the district of Fengshan, but also that's the largest uh, population in Kaohsiung. There are 400,000 people plus in the district of Fengshan, uh, a former city uh, that merged into the, to the to Kaohsiung city. So there are more cases there, but if you look along, it kind of just follows almost the, 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 the MRT routes, uh, sort of just, just they're, they're, they're all over the city. So we don't have the same sort of ghost city feeling that I've seen from drone footage in Taipei or that some of my friends in, in, up there have, have, have noted. But um, I did take a motorcycle ride. I had to go to a, a, a client that was quite far away um, for a case uh, the other day. And I did notice uh, significantly less traffic just in general. Um, so it seems like a lot of people are heeding the uh, advice to stay home. On the weekend, you aren't seeing um, department stores being visited in the same way. Uh, but it's not, uh, not anywhere, in my view, not anywhere close to what we're experiencing or you're, what you're experiencing in Taipei, rather. And Sean, what about Tainan? What's happening there? Uh, Tainan actually, pretty early on, seemed to have gone into lockdown, even though there technically isn't exactly a strictly enforced lockdown. So basically, immediately after the outbreak began, I noticed a lot of stores, personally, they self-chose to not open or do deliveries only. And I, a lot of them actually brought plastic to cover things and to make sort of cubbies where those were not available to have some barrier between, um, you know, uh, themselves and customers. Now, it is true that, like many other places, the more traditional of a market you go, the less protection there is. So I did notice a small fruit shop and some fruit markets that were, or traditional markets that personally I think needed some better practice in terms of uh, trying to get people to, you know, uh, have social distance themselves, even though they were all wearing masks and everything else. Other things I've noticed is also that um, a lot of stores just chose not to open. So, you know, uh, Tainan became mostly like a ghost town uh, where traffic has declined significantly. Um, although, as of recent, bubble tea shops have opened a little bit. So the feeling is I think everyone is trying their best uh, uh, to to make sure that uh, infection doesn't go uh, go around too quickly. But uh, in, in terms for the older people here, here the first day of the outbreak, uh, a lot of the stores actually had sign-in sheets. So with a pen, and there would be alcohol, you could spray down. You know, uh, you know, all these pens if you wanted to, and you could just write down your telephone number, your name, uh, and additional info if you so choose to give. And there would be somebody who would just come out, make sure that you signed it, and then then let you in. So for here, it's actually very organized. Uh, I was actually very impressed because by day three, they had the SMS tracing thing, and then QR codes were up. But keep in mind, uh, Family Mart and I think 7-Eleven and several other places already made their own system 
where you could register via QR code, primarily backed by Google Forms. So the QR code would take you to Google Forms where you would type in your name and everything. For those that didn't want to touch a pen or paper, you know, they didn't want physical trends. Uh, mission. That said, uh, like I said, there were lots of alcohol available all over that you could spray your hand and everything, uh, or the pen itself to make sure that you weren't exactly transmitting to other people or getting infected. And And of course, the QR code now, at least uh, down here, has been expanded to, uh, if you download the correct app, you simply uh, scan the QR code and then press send and you're done. There's no entering that's necessary. It's all, all, all finished. So it's extremely innovation, which I was actually very impressed by. So Audrey Tang is our uh, digital information minister, and in three days uh, they managed to put together an MS SMS app and worked with the telcos to make sure that that SMS, those SMSs, are completely free. And in ten days they were able to create uh, digital only for those people who only have data but don't have text messaging with their plans or may not be one of, with one of the five major telcos in Taiwan. So the speed of that is incredible. There's even a new one coming out, a new app coming out in anticipation of Taiwan's uh, uh, vaccination rollout efforts yes. that will allow you to register online. And it's all done by QR codes. It's actually uh, pretty impressive. I, I was very impressed. I use it every single day when I make my trip to 7-Eleven to pick up some packages, uh, among other things. And do you think, obviously, do you think it was explained well, though, Sean, when it was rolled out? Uh, actually, because of the signs that they were put out in Chinese and English, I did spot two minor grammatical errors uh, in English, but uh, generally the signs were very clear-cut. Uh, at least here in Tainan, the rollout has been extremely smooth from my own witnessing. However, I did hear that some other uh, cities and counties did have some uh, technical problems. Uh, not technical problems, but sort of rollout difficulties. But here in Taiwan, things, at least from what I've seen personally, have been very impressively orderly. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know what else to say to that, except that it's, I didn't see any, uh, anybody complaining because if, if you were, let's say, an elderly person, they would just sign in, you know, with a pen and paper. So, and then so far, as of tomorrow, good. at least for Kaohsiung, they have uh, started to do something that I think is very important. The new rules will limit the amount of people that can enter a certain place based on ping or the traditional Chinese uh, measurement. So it's going to be one person per ping, and this was something that I thought that they had sort of overlooked early on. So sure, you could beep your way into whatever place with a QR code, but if there's too many people in there, it's, a, it's just not a, an effective strategy for reducing uh, possible infection. So now, depending on the size of the shop, each shop will have a little, like, either counter there or a little digital number or perhaps even written in chalk, depending on, on the store, and that they'll limit the amount of people that will be allowed in at a single time based on just simple math. I think it's a great idea. And what about uh, I'd like to add that that's a fantastic thing because uh, I did notice, because I go to the computer shops a lot to pick up a lot of hardware where I sort of built like a second office here. And one thing I noticed is that there was a lot of parents buying laptops and equipment for their children as we move everything online. And indeed, there were some computer shops that were a little bit more tight than I would be more comfortable with, but that is because uh, families were together in clusters. 
Uh, they weren't really social distancing from each other, nor the store employee, but they were socially distanced from each other. I want to share a quick story about me at the supermarket yesterday, which I noticed people were actually avoiding each other in lanes. Which yes. I thought was really funny. I would walk into one lane and the other person would just sort of look at me and be like, oh, okay, you go first. I'll just stand here. And you hope that's not but, because you're a foreigner, but anyway. Uh, no, 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 I'm not a foreigner. I'm actually local, so that's why it worked out. Okay. And what about the, the general public feeling towards the local governments down there? I mean, Michael, how, how are the local public, didn't they trust the local government down there? There's a lot of uh, misinformation, a lot of rumors that are, are still being spread, even though uh, they've upped the fines significantly for spreading disinformation, and they even arrested some, like, 70-year-old man who, who had sent uh, something that was uh, unfounded. And so, But the problem is that people haven't really and, and to be fair it's a really really complicated topic so people are like well why aren't they doing this why aren't they doing that and there are answers for all of these things but you need to almost be a journalist and you need to research these things to be able to understand them and when you hear them talking about it there's a certain dissatisfaction with, within a minority of people but Overall, my feeling for Kaohsiung is that uh, so far, Chen Shi Mai's uh, approval rating is, is holding very strong. Um, his background, as a, uh, he was a doctor originally and, and, and served as a doctor before getting into politics. He has, uh, his, his calm, sort of almost boring demeanor has served him well as he does press conferences and uh, appeals for people to follow the rules and be calm. And for now, there seems to be, at least from my vantage point, uh, is pretty successful. O overall, the city of Kaohsiung seems to be uh, walking in step with their government. And Sean, what about in Tainan, the public feeling towards the local government there? I actually think down south here, it's mostly the same. I believe it could be somewhat different up in Taipei, but uh, Huangwei has done a, a decent job, or actually I feel like a great job. There's good signs and notices all over the city. doesn't matter what kind of shop or store that you've been, you're going to. Most people have been staying indoors. Uh, I noticed uh, here in Tainan, I, I don't have the luxury of uh, having somebody handle my garbage, so I have to go out and wait for the garbage truck. And I've noticed that the musical garbage trucks have also included, uh, which I've recorded, by the way, um, recordings that, you know, tell you instructions like stay home, wear your mask. Yeah, same. Uh, you know, social distance, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they've done, a, I think, a great job in making sure that everyone hears about it, even if you don't have any Internet. Even if your lifestyle, you know, is, is perhaps uh, from a long time ago and, and you're not used to, let's say, watching the TV, they made sure that you will definitely get messages everywhere here in Tainan. So I think that the sentiment is mostly the same. There is some consternation. I've heard a lot of locals complaining that the hot, about the hotspots of Suangbei or basically uh, Taipei and New Taipei City and people worrying about uh, people coming down from Taipei and New Taipei spreading more of it here. Yeah, well, the problem with that was as soon as uh, a lot of uh, cases began to get noticed in those areas, there was a migration, especially of children, to the south to go live with their grandparents or stay with their grandparents. That was that was well documented a couple weeks ago. So, yes, I've heard the same here as well of like, uh, don't come down south uh, as a way of escaping. <laughs> Yeah, re recently I've heard also um, speakerphones uh, uh, saying things like, uh, don't visit your family this long weekend, uh, stay at home, you know, to help everybody, do your part. Uh, I think these are good messages. I do think most people are 
following them. Uh, I did see a violation a couple days ago when I unfortunately had to do a Costco run, which, by the way, I have to say Costco has done uh, an exemplary job of making sure everyone is split apart. Uh, they had runners running around making sure everybody was socially distanced at Costco. But near Costco here in Tainan was a park, and at the park I noticed some old people violating rules by exercising. But the funny part was they carried alcohol on them and they separated completely. So I just sat there at the parking lot just kind of watching them for 10 minutes, you know, trying to decide if I should call the police or not. But then I thought about it and I noticed they actually were socially distancing at the park as well. And of course, Michael, of course, both the Tainan and, D- and the Gaoshan governments are DPP. So there's been, there's been no friction between the local governments there and the central government like there has been in New Taipei and Taipei. Right. This is a big deal. And, you know, we can say that health shouldn't be political, but in Taiwan, there's almost nothing that isn't political. Um, and, of course, it, uh, not only between the central governments and the local government or the uh, DPP and the KMT, but then there's the whole China factor that comes in there. And there's, you know, people pointing fingers to, to across the, the, the Taiwan Strait saying it's their fault that we're not getting vaccines and all of this. So there is a lot of contention all over Taiwan right now. But as you noted, uh, Kaohsiung and Tainan are ruled by uh, DVP stalwarts, so uh, there isn't that going on. And it seems that Chen Shi Mai, in particular, his former role as uh, vice premier up in Taipei, has him pretty linked in with uh, the, 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 the powers that be up there. So uh, when he speaks and when he comments on different things, it sounds like he's in the know. And I think that's been somewhat reassuring to the people of Kaohsiung. And he also seems to be doing a similar thing to what I hear uh, some of the Taipei politicians do. And that's like um, prime people for uh, bad news. And uh, they may or may not be using doctors as well, but I feel like it. I hear from uh, doctors on television in Kaohsiung saying that, you know, we should expect the death rate to continue to climb a little bit before it goes down. And they'll, they'll, they'll couch their words very carefully and it'll be very measured. But it seems like a, 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 almost a, a calculated idea of lowering expectations um, getting people ready for a long haul and making you, you know, feel like you're, you're this isn't going to be over tomorrow. Because when we first went into this, it was a, a two-week thing, then it got extended, and uh, I think it's next week, on Monday, they're going to announce uh, the, the further uh, rules or what's going to happen in the future. And almost nobody with uh, any sense expects that we're all going to go back to uh, normal uh, after the 14th. It looks uh, that that would be almost miraculous. So, yeah, uh, I think uh, that Chen Shimai in particular has... Uh, pretty much polished his, his image quite well, and um, he's, he's come out looking pretty good in this situation. And Sean, what about the mayor of Tainan? Uh, I actually think it's mostly the same. One of the, at, the, the reason is because I think, at, at least for the mayors, the DPP has been far more coordinated, uh, it seems, than uh, New Taipei or Taipei, at least upon impressions, which is why social media even here has been saying things like, you know, uh, I used to think that choosing your mayor was not important, but now I know it could be a life-and-death situation. You know, posts like that, or posts you'll see people say things like, you know, uh, I, you know, I used to think my mayor was boring, but in an emergency, that's what really counts. So I, I do see that also about Kaohsiung in terms of people writing posts saying that it would be, oh, you know, how things might be different if uh, Han Guoyu might have been elected, you know. <laughs> His reaction would be very different. 
So these are, well, Tainan is basically a pangreen stronghold, so no, nothing's going to change in that aspect. But I do see a lot of, even Tainan people mentioning like, ooh, you know, I'm so glad that we have Huangweiza, we don't have Kowenza, or, you know, as our mayor, because clearly Taipei isn't taking care of it. Uh, especially when last week there was a video of a traditional market, uh, photos of traditional markets where uh, it was just crowded with elderly. And the rea- people were, t- I heard my neighbors talking about that, you know, just utter consternation saying, what's going on with Taipei? Do, are they not serious about this? They're the epicenter. It's really unfair to all of us. But on the other hand, uh, President Tsai's approval rating had, I think, fell uh, below 50% uh, over this last week. And uh, there's definitely some some criticism of the central government across Taiwan. And um, from what you can see of, like, really uh, unofficial, very unscientific polls, uh, Ke's attempt to become president in 2024, he may have uh, gotten a couple ticks upwards over this just because of how some people see him as decisive or see him as strong or see him as not being willing to bend to emotion. So it's a, it's still a mixed bag nationally. But, yeah, I think both Sean and I have a, a different perspective because the South is just so so solidly green for the most part. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. Now, there was a whole heap of vaccine-related news to talk about this week because President Tsai Ing-wen on Monday defended the development of domestic coronavirus vaccines amid accusations that the government is deliberately preventing imports of vaccines to protect domestic vaccine makers. Well, she shot down that one, but KMT Chairman Johnny Jung quickly held a press conference that same day calling on people to change their Facebook profile pictures to an image with the words, Taiwan needs vaccines. And he also questioned the government's vaccine vaccine policy. But there was also other issues questioning the vaccine policy. That is what Honhai founder Terry Guo, of course, he's trying to buy BioNTech vaccines. And his wife and Yonglin Charity Education Foundation head Delia Tsang was joined by Foxconn Education Foundation director Wong Yong-he this week in delivering the relevant documentation to the Food and Drug Administration for permission to purchase and import coronavirus vaccines. However, while Health Minister Chen Shih-jong thanked Guo for his efforts, he also went on this week on Thursday and announced that he believes that, well, private efforts to purchase coronavirus vaccines, well, they're unlikely to succeed. And he basically said that because a Kaohsiung-based religious group, the Four Guangshan Buddhist group, is attempting to purchase 500,000 one-shot vaccines from Johnson & Johnson. And, well, the Central Epidemic Command Centre contacted Johnson & Johnson, who actually said, well, we're not going to be selling the vaccines to individual groups such as this, only to governments and via the COVAX sharing programme. Now, the Central Epidemic Command Centre on Wednesday announced that it's preparing to set up thousands of community vaccination stations in the next few months with the goal of administrating one million doses of coronavirus vaccine per week. The move is part of a large-scale inoculation plan to combat the pandemic. And according to the Epidemic Command Centre spokesman, Zhuang Renshang, two million doses of the vaccine are scheduled to be delivered in Taiwan before the end of the month and another eight million by the end of August. Now, as we woke up this morning here in Taiwan, news broke that Japan will be sending Taiwan 1.24 million doses of the vaccine this afternoon. Well, they'll come today 
after we finish recording this show. And also the US government has announced that Taiwan is on the list of countries which will be receiving vaccines from the Biden administration. So, Sean, the vaccine, they look like they're getting vaccines now, but of course some controversy over the speed the vaccines are coming in still. You know, in news in Taiwan is local news in Taiwan, not this fine show, uh, generally does not really cover greater context. And the the greater context that I think a lot of the politicians are purposely playing around is the idea that the world is already lacking in vaccines. It's not like, you know, you could, as some had alleged, that you could just go to a U.S. Costco buy all the vaccines you want and just ship it down here in Taiwan. It, that, that's not how things work. You know, um, it, it takes time to produce and distribute. So I do think Taiwan has actually done quite an admirable job, admirable job of getting vaccines. Uh, even in late December, Taiwan had announced that they were purchasing uh, 20 million vaccines. Uh, the, com- the complications is, of course, uh, uh, you know, uh, big ma- major uh, companies that distribute vaccines, that create vaccines, are not going to distribute it to some random group or religious group or some company without some assurances that those companies or those groups can actually distribute these vaccines properly. Uh, case in point, Moderna needs specialized freezers in order to take care of them. Uh, AZ, AstraZeneca, can actually... Uh, actually work in a fridge. Uh, that's why it's one of its appeals, right? Uh, so each of these vaccines have special handling, uh, uh, ways to handle them, et cetera, et cetera. So these are, these are considerations that they would have. And it, it, I, do, I do think it is quite problematic that a lot of organizations or political parties in Taiwan have chosen to take advantage of the situation by playing politics. And uh, we've seen that nonstop, for instance, yesterday, uh, you know, once uh, Japan had announced that they were sending in vaccines, uh, Yu Lan said that, well, because of Taiwan's donation of lots of money during Japan's earthquake almost uh, or a decade ago, on March 11th, 3.11, that they should at least donate 3.11 million vaccines. And that, you know, she expected actually Japan to donate 30 million, this KMT legislator had said, which I think was a slap in the face. Why would you do that um, when someone already had fast-tracked a flight of vaccines on June 4th? You know, uh, uh, and that's Japan doing it. And with the date being quite significant uh, vis-a-vis Japan's sort of influence versus, uh, let's say, China, which themselves have been uh, sort of playing politics with uh, Fosem and Fosun being the company that has uh, millions of BioNTech vaccines and has been the source of a lot of uh, political games these days. So I do think that, you know, when lives are at stake, it is quite, uh, uh, personally from my perspective, a little bit distasteful that uh, certain politicians have decided that this is the time to play games. Uh, there is a whole process for this. Uh, there was, I, I think there was a group, uh, a, a school principal, uh, someone uh, of someone, and he claimed that he could procure five million doses of BioNTech, uh, but you know went to the FDA and only gave a single incomplete document that wasn't relevant to anything they need. Uh, oh, two months ago, I myself had to import a medical device, and I had to fill out all the forms properly and go through the whole process. If each individual has to do that, if every company has to do that. 
Uh, I don't see why these politicians are playing games by purposely giving in uh, incomplete documentation, then saying the government is blocking, uh, uh, you know, method, blocking uh, uh, incoming vaccines, and then or perpetuating conspiracy theories. One thing I'd like to note uh, before I finish is that Tai yesterday had met with uh, industry professionals, uh, eight industry and commercial organizations, to in, to invest and. In, put together and try to procure 2.5 million doses of vaccines for Taiwan. And that included the Taiwan Chamber of Commerce and uh, uh, the president or chairman of the Chamber of Commerce for uh, Taipei and New Taipei. So it's not like the government doesn't have a history of trying to procure vaccines. And, you know, they did say they did welcome, uh, uh, you know, vaccines coming in, but they'd have to be done orderly and according to regulations with the FDA which seems reasonable. Yeah, um, I, I saw today that someone was suggesting that we'd uh, make June uh, 4th a Japanese Friendship Day because of the, the donation and just the, the close relations. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to see Japan uh, helping out, and you know, we, we both countries seem to, to help each other when they're in need, and that's wonderful. But what Sean was saying is absolutely correct. Um, if it's true that Taiwan was trying to... Uh, prop up their own um, uh, domestic manufacturers so they could make money, then why has the government spent uh, almost a year trying to order from virtually every con- company on the, on the planet? Um, there's a, a vaccine shortage all over the world, and plus we are not a huge market. Uh, we, we have, what, uh, 24, maybe a million, 23 million people? So uh, there's, there's, there's just a lot of complications with this, and we are not really on the top of the list for uh, a whole bunch of different reasons. Plus, um, there is plenty of allegations out there that China is uh, doing its uh, best to make things difficult for certain companies, and there is evidence to, to, to show that that uh, is probably true. So to, to make an argument that the government is deliberately doing this is uh, just uh, is false. And um, I'll also add that uh, I was happy to see President Biden in the U.S. Uh, sign on to the idea of going with um, intellectually free, property-free vaccine information. So that would essentially mean that they would give the formula to various com- countries around the world and they could, uh, you know, cook up their own. But you would think that that would be the end of it, but it isn't because even the machines that help to make these things, they, they're also under copyright, so they have to work out uh, the transfer of technology for various, you know, every single part of this, this process. And it would take somewhere between 12 and 18 months to even set up a, uh, a production facility in an advanced country like Taiwan. So people are trying their best around the world to, to get this going. Um, it is a little bit uh, frustrating when you see that America has such a glut of uh, vaccines and you, you note that the, you know, the rest of the world is doing even worse than, than Taiwan at procuring things. You, you, you feel very uh, bad for people in India or other, uh, other nations, but these allegations are, are unfounded. So, yeah, um, we're, we're doing our best, and uh, if it, if it, it, right now it looks like we might be able to see some stuff by the end of this month, but probably more realistically, it's you know somewhere over the summer. And of course, Sean, there's been some controversy in this between this, especially Kaohsiung, because the Kaohsiung city government has been allotted more vaccines than the new Taipei city government, which of course set off the motions of the new Taipei city government getting a bit angry over this because they have more cases in new Taipei than in Kaohsiung. 
I think distribution of vaccines and whatnot so far has seemed pretty scientific, as in they're trying to stem, stem it off. Uh, it's, it's not really, a, you know, there, there's many approaches. And again, uh, as Michael's noted, these things could be very complicated. It's not something that could be easily explained uh, in, in a few short, short, short words, unfortunately. But the reality is that uh, distribution matters, you know. Um, so if, let's say, just to have a slight tangent, if suddenly Taiwan had 10 million doses of Moderna show up at our doorstep, the reality is that we can't really necessarily distribute it to everybody in time. Why? Because Moderna requires special freezing temperatures in order to hold it and, and the proper machines. And so if they suddenly give 10 million, we're going to have millions that expire before they get to people. And that's something that I think Gaoshan actually did way better than Taipei or New Taipei, which is when New Taipei and Taipei were complaining about getting doses, their ability to distribute was nowhere near as organized as Gaoshan. Correct. For instance, a lot of people were lining up together clustered in New Taipei and Taipei trying to get PCR tests uh, or rapid antigen tests, that that kind of thing. Whereas in Kaohsiung, they had already had a system where people could register, and so they knew exactly what time to come in, so they wouldn't have to wait in line outside in the hot sun (laughs) with other people uh, uh, and potentially getting infected. and, And that's The other point, which is Kaohsiung actually did a fantastic job because within two, if I recall, within two days, uh, two or three days, they were able to distribute all the vaccines that they had gotten to all the frontline workers and people at risk and stuff that they needed to distribute to. Whereas Taipei had only distributed approximately 30 percent. New Taipei, I think, was actually the worst performing of all of them. So, you know, I think distribution is complicated, but... The reality is Taipei, and New, uh, uh, Tainan, and Kaohsiung were able to distribute those vaccines in totality in a short time, whereas uh, Ta- New Taipei, if I remember that the numbers, was actually the worst performing in terms of distribution uh, in getting it out. So even if they had gotten more, it would just be sitting there. And, and uh, according to the research that I have here in front of me, Kaohsiung did not get more, actually. I mean, yes, okay, so the numbers were higher, but you have to look at proportions. So uh, what they're saying is there are more people in Taipei and New Taipei who have already been vaccinated, and there are more people in Kaohsiung who need to be vaccinated. Therefore, Kaohsiung was given more vaccines, but it's a proportionate thing. It's not like they're being favored in some way. So uh, everything that Sean said, I agree with. But on top of that, there isn't some conspiracy to give uh, our city more vaccines. And before we go this week, there was an interesting way of keeping your child from going out in the news, Michael. Oh, yes. Uh, This uh, made a lot of people chuckle, but uh, it was rather effective. So a mother of a junior high school student in Kaohsiung was concerned that her son might flout uh, rules and, you know, still hang out with friends and maybe get sick. So she took him to the barber and said, give my son the ugliest haircut uh, you can think of. So the barber did a hangoryu haircut, as they called it. And that's just like a shaving of the front of the head and leaving a, 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 a little bit of hair in the back. And uh, it seemed ex- extremely effective. The kid began screaming, I will not go out. I will not go out. And uh, he became a meme and got popular all over the web. So, yeah, uh, some people might see that as child abuse, but uh, it seems to be a rather effective method of keeping kids at home.
Oh, it is a very ugly hair, <laughs> uh, especially for a child. Um, when I first saw the pictures and uh, uh, my partner was laughing, I looked at the photo and I said, oh, who's that old man? And she had said, no, not an old man. <laughs> you know, a young child. So I do think it is a very effective way of keeping kids inside. But on the other hand, because it's become mimetic, uh, some, part, some people might actually like the attention. Uh, in terms of the ugly haircut preventing kids from coming out, uh, as we've said earlier, I think there's been a recent uptick in younger people uh, getting the, the vaccine, uh, I'm sorry, is spreading uh, COVID. So maybe we all should get that haircut then. Whoa. I think that's going a bit extreme there. Whoa. And we'll have, to, we'll have to leave it on that note, Sean. So we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And today I've been joined on the telephone from Tainan by Sean Su. Thank you very much. And from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.